This book is so good. I love just the pure childhood adventure of it and Jim Hawkins just striking out and doing crazy stuff that as a kid is just the exact sort of thing that you would have loved to have done. At least I know I would have. I bet you would have too. What is the craziest thing you did as a kid? I would love to hear from you. All the links to contact the show are in the description down below, or just send an email to anotherworldaudiobooks at gmail.com or anotherworldaudiobooks on all the socials. So let me know, what's the craziest thing you ever did as a kid? While you're thinking on that and replying, without further ado, I give you the next two chapters of Treasure Island. 23. The Ebb Tide Runs The Coracle as I had ample reason to know before I was done with her, was a very safe boat for a person of my height and weight, both buoyant and clever in a seaway, but she was the most cross-gained, lopsided craft to manage. Do as you pleased. She always made more leeway than anything else, and turning round and round was the manoeuvre she was best at. Even Ben Gunn himself has admitted that she was queer to handle till you knew her way. Certainly, I did not know her way. She turned in every direction but the one I was bound to go. The most part of the time we were broadside on— and I am very sure I should never have made the ship at all, but for the tide. By good fortune, paddle as I pleased, the tide was still sweeping me down, and there lay the Hispaniola, right in the fairway, hardly to be missed. First she loomed before me like a blot of something yet blacker than darkness. Then her spars and hull began to take shape, and the next moment, as it seemed, for the farther I went, the brisker grew the current at the ebb. I was alongside a hosser, and had laid hold. The hosser was as taut as a bowstring, and the current so strong she pulled upon her anchor. All round the hole, in the blackness, the ripping current bubbled and chattered like a little mountain stream. One cut with my seagully, and the Hispaniola would go humming down the tide. So far so good, but it next occurred to my recollection that a taut hawser, suddenly cut, is a thing as dangerous as a kicking horse. Ten to one, if I was so foolhardy as to cut the Hispaniola from her anchor, I and the coracle would be knocked clean out of the water." This brought me to a full stop, and if fortune had not particularly favoured me, I should have had to abandon my design. But the light airs which had begun blowing from the south-east and south had hauled round after nightfall into the south-west. Just while I was meditating, a puff came, caught the Hispaniola, and forced her up into the current, and, to my great joy, I felt the hawser slacken in my grasp, and the hand by which I held it dip for a second under the water. With that, I made my mind up, took out my gully, opened it with my teeth, and cut one strand after another, till the vessel swung only by two. Then I lay quiet, waiting to sever these last, when the strain should once more be lightened by a breath of wind. All this time, I had heard the sound of loud voices from the cabin, but to say truth, my mind had been so entirely taken up with other thoughts that I had scarcely given ear. Now, however, when I had nothing else to do, I began to pay more heed." One I recognized for the coxswains, Israel Hands, who had been Flint's gunner in former days. The other was, of course, my friend of the red nightcap. Both men were plainly the worse for drink, and they were still drinking, for even while I was listening, one of them, with a drunken cry, opened the stern window and threw out something, which I divined to be an empty bottle. But they were not only tipsy, it was plain that they were furiously angry. Oaths flew like hailstorms, and even now and then there came forth such an explosion as I thought was sure to end in blows. But each time the quarrel passed off, and the voices grumbled lower for a while, until the next crisis came, and in its turn passed away without result. On the shore I could see the glow of the great campfire burning warmly through the shoreside trees. Someone was singing, a dull, old, droning sailor's song, with a droop and a quaver at the end of every verse, and seemingly no end to it at all but the patience of the singer. I had heard it on the voyage more than once, and remembered these words. But one man of her crew alive, what put to sea was seventy-five. And I thought it was a ditty rather too dolefully appropriate for a company that had met such cruel losses in the morning, 
But indeed, from what I saw, all these buccaneers were as callous as the sea they sailed on. At last, the breeze came. The schooner sidled and drew nearer in the dark. I felt the hawser slacken once more, and with a good, tough effort, cut the last fibres through. The breeze had but little action on the coracle, and I was almost instantly swept against the bow of the Hispaniola. At the same time, the schooner began to turn upon her heel, spinning slowly, end for end, across the current. I wrought like a fiend, for I expected every moment to be swamped, and since I found I could not push the coracle directly off, I now shoved straight astern. At length I was clear of my dangerous neighbour, and just as I gave the last impulsion, my hands came across a light cord that was trailing overboard across the stern bulwarks. Instantly I grasped it. Why I should have done so I can hardly say. It was at first mere instinct, but once I had it in my hands and found it fast, curiosity began to get the upper hand, and I determined I should have one look through the cabin window. I pulled in hand over hand on the cord, and when I judged myself near enough, rose at infinite risk to about half my height, and thus commanded the roof and a slice of the interior of the cabin. By this time the schooner and her little consort were gliding pretty swiftly through the water. Indeed, we had already fetched up level with the campfire. The ship was talking, as sailors say loudly, treading the innumerable ripples with an incessant weltering splash, and until I got my eye above the window-sill I could not comprehend why the watchman had taken no alarm. One glance, however, was sufficient, and it was only one glance that I durst take from the unsteady skiff. It showed me hands and his companion, locked together in deadly wrestle, each with a hand upon the other's throat. I dropped upon the thwart again, none too soon, for I was near overboard. I could see nothing for the moment but those two furious and crimson faces swaying together under the smoky lamp. I shut my eyes to let them grow once more familiar with the darkness. The endless ballad had come to an end at last, and the whole diminished company about the campfire had broken into the chorus I had heard so often. Fifteen men on a dead man's chest, yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum, drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo-ho-ho, and a bottle of rum. I was just thinking how busy drink and the devil were at that very moment in the cabin of the Hispaniola, when I was surprised by a sudden lurch of the coracle. At the same moment, she yawed sharply, and seemed to change her course. The speed in the meantime had strangely increased. I opened my eyes at once. All round me were little ripples, combing over with a sharp, bristling sound, and slightly phosphorescent. The Hispaniola herself, a few yards in whose wake I was still being whirled along, seemed to stagger in her course, and I saw her spars toss a little against the blackness of the night. Nay, as I looked longer, I made sure she was also wheeling to the southward. I glanced over my shoulder, and my heart jumped against my ribs. There, right behind me, was the glow of the campfire. The current had turned at right angles, sweeping round with it the tall schooner and the little dancing coracle, ever quickening, ever bubbling higher, ever muttering louder. It went spinning through the narrows for the open sea. Suddenly the schooner in front of me gave a violent yaw, turning perhaps through twenty degrees, and almost at the same moment one shout followed another from on board. I could hear feet pounding on the companion ladder, and I knew that the two drunkards had at last been interrupted in their quarrel and awakened to a sense of their disaster. I lay down flat in the bottom of that wretched skiff, and devoutly recommended my spirit to its maker. At the end of the straits I made sure we must fall into some bar of raging breakers where all my trouble would be ended speedily, and though I could perhaps bear to die— I could not bear to look upon my fate as it approached. So I must have lain for hours, continually beaten to and fro upon the billows, now and again wetted with flying sprays, and never ceasing to expect death at the next plunge. Gradually, weariness grew upon me. A numbness, an occasional stupor, fell upon my mind even in the midst of my terrors, until sleep at last supervened, and in my sea-tossed coracle I lay and dreamed of home and the old Admiral Benbow.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Twenty-four, the curse of Coracle. It was broad day when I awoke and found myself tossing at the southwest end of Treasure Island. The sun was up, but was still hid from me behind the great bulk of the spyglass, which on this side descended almost to the sea in formidable cliffs. Hall bowline head and mizzenmast hill were at my elbow, the hill bare and dark, the head bound with cliffs forty or fifty feet high, and fringed with great masses of fallen rock. I was scarce a quarter of a mile to seaward, and it was my first thought to paddle in inland. That notion was soon given over. Among the fallen rocks, the breakers spouted and bellowed. Loud reverberations, heavy sprays flying and falling, succeeded one another from second to second, and I saw myself, if I ventured nearer, dashed to death upon the rough shore, or spending my strength in vain to scale the beetling crags. Nor was that all, for crawling together on flat tables of rock, or letting themselves drop into the sea with loud reports, I beheld huge slimy monsters, soft snails as it were, of incredible bigness, two or three score of them together, making the rocks to echo with their barkings. I have understood since that they were sea lions, and entirely harmless, but the look of them, added to the difficulty of the shore and the high running of the surf, was more than enough to disgust me of that landing place. I felt willing rather to starve at sea than to confront such peril. In the meantime, I had a better chance, as I suppose, before me. North of Hall Bowline Head, the land runs in a long way, leaving at low tide a long stretch of yellow sand. To the north of that again, there comes another cape, Cape of the Woods, as it was marked upon the chart, buried in tall green pines which descends to the margin of the sea. I remembered what Silver had said about the current that sets northward along the whole west coast of Treasure Island, and seeing from my position that I was already under its influence, I preferred to leave Hall Bowline Head behind me, and reserve my strength for an attempt to land upon the kindlier-looking Cape of the Woods. There was a great, smooth swell upon the sea, the wind blowing steady and gentle from the south. There was no contrariety between that and the current, and the billows rose and fell unbroken. Had it been otherwise, I must long ago have perished, but as it was, it was surprising how easily and securely my little and light boat could ride. Often, as I still lay at the bottom and kept no more than an eye above the gunwale, I could see a big blue summit heaving close above me, yet the coracle would but bounce a little, dance as if on springs, and subside on the other side into the trough as lightly as a bird. I began after a little to grow very bold and sat up to try my skill at paddling, but even a small change in the disposition of the weight will produce violent changes in the behavior of the coracle, and I had already moved before the boat, giving up at once her gentle dancing movement, ran straight down a slope of water so steep that it made me giddy, and struck a nose with a spout of spray deep into the side of the next wave. I was drenched and terrified, and fell instantly back into my old position, whereupon the coracle seemed to find her head again, and led me as softly as before among the billows. It was plain she was not to be interfered with, and at any rate, since I could in no way influence her course, what hope had I left of reaching land? I began to be horribly frightened, but I kept my head for all that. First, moving with all care, I gradually bailed out the coracle with my sea-cap. Then, getting my eye once more above the gunwale, I set myself to study how it was she managed to slip so quietly through the rollers. 
I found each wave, instead of the big, smooth, glossy mountain it looked from shore or from a vessel's deck, was, for all the world, like a range of hills on dry land, full of peaks and smooth places and valleys. The coracle, left to herself, turning from side to side, threaded, so to speak, her way through these lower parts, and avoided the steep slopes and the higher, toppling summits of the wave. "'Well, now,' thought I to myself, "'it is plain I must lie where I am, and not disturb the balance, but it is plain also that I can put the paddle over the side, and from time to time, in smooth places, give her a shove or two towards land.' No sooner thought upon than done. There I lay my elbows in the most trying attitude, and every now and again gave a weak stroke or two to turn ahead to shore. It was very tiring and slow work, yet I did visibly gain ground, and as we drew near the cape of the woods, though I saw I must infallibly miss that point, I had still made some hundred yards of easting. I was indeed close in. I could see the cool green treetops swaying together in the breeze, and I felt sure I should make the next promontory without fail. It was high time, for I now began to be tortured with thirst— the glow of the sun from above, its thousandfold reflection from the waves, the sea-water that fell and dried upon me, caking my very lips with salt, combined to make my throat burn and my brain ache. The sight of the trees so near at hand had almost made me sick with longing, but the current had soon carried me past the point, and as the next reach of the sea opened out, I beheld a sight that changed the nature of my thoughts. Right in front of me, not a half a mile away, I beheld the Hispaniola under sail. I made sure, of course, that I should be taken— but I was so distressed for want of water that I scarce knew whether to be glad or sorry at the thought, and long before I had come to a conclusion, surprise had taken entire possession of my mind, and I could do nothing but stare and wonder. The Hispaniola was under her mainsail, and two jibs, and the beautiful white canvas shone in the sun like snow or silver. While I first sighted her, all her sails were drawing. She was lying a course about northwest, and I presumed the men on board were going round the island on their way back to their anchorage. Presently she began to fetch more and more to the westward, so that I thought they had sighted me and were going about in chase. At last, however, she fell right into the wind's eye, was taken dead aback, and stood there a while helpless with the sails shivering. "'Clumsy fellows,' said I. "'They must still be drunk as owls,' and I thought how Captain Smollett would have set them skipping. Meanwhile the schooner gradually fell off, and filled again upon another tack, sailed swiftly for a minute or so, and brought up once more dead in the wind's eye.' Again and again was this repeated. To and fro, up and down, north, south, east, and west, the Hispaniola sailed by swoops and dashes, and at each repetition ended as she had begun, with idly flapping canvas. It became plain to me that nobody was steering, and if so, where were the men? Either they were dead drunk, or had deserted her, I thought, and perhaps, if I could get on board, I might return the vessel to her captain. The current was bearing coracle and schooner southward at an equal rate. As for the latter's sailing, it was so wild and intermittent that she hung each time so long in irons that she certainly gained nothing, if she did not even lose. If I only dared to sit up and paddle, I made sure that I could overhaul her. The scheme had an air of adventure that inspired me, and the thought of the water-breaker beside the fore companion doubled my growing courage. Up I got, was welcomed almost instantly by another cloud of spray, but this time stuck to my purpose and set myself, with all my strength and caution, to paddle after the unsteered Hispaniola. Once I shipped a sea so heavy that I had to stop and bail, with my heart fluttering like a bird, but gradually I got into the way of the thing and guided my coracle among the waves, with only now and then a blow upon a bow and a dash of foam in my face. As I was now gaining rapidly on the schooner, I could see the brass glisten on the tiller as it banged about, and no soul appeared on her decks. I could not choose but suppose she was deserted. If not, the men were lying drunk below, or I might batten them down, perhaps, and do what I chose with the ship." For some time she had been doing the worst thing possible for me, standing still. 
She headed nearly due south, yawing, of course, all the time. Each time she fell off, her sails partly filled, and these brought her in a moment right to the wind again. I have said this was the worst thing possible for me, for helpless as she looked in this situation, with the canvas cracking like a cannon and the blocks trundling and banging on the deck, she still continued to run away from me, not only with the speed of the current, but by the whole amount of a leeway which was naturally great. But now at last I had my chance. The breeze fell for some seconds very low, and the current gradually turning her, the Hispaniola revolved slowly round her centre, and at last presented me her stern, with the cabin window still gaping open, and the lamp over the table still burning on into the day. The mainsail hung drooped like a banner. She was stock still but for the current. For the last little while I had even lost, but now redoubling my efforts, I began once more to overhaul the chase. I was not a hundred yards from her, when the wind came again in the clap. She filled on the port tack and was off again, stooping and skimming like a swallow. My first impulse was one of despair, but my second was towards joy. Round she came, till she was bronzed on to me, round still, till she had covered a half, and then two-thirds, and then three-quarters of the distance that separated us. I could see the waves boiling white under her forefoot. Immensely tall she looked to me from my low station in the coracle. And then, of a sudden, I began to comprehend— I had scarce time to think, scarce time to act and save myself. I was on the summit of one swell, when the schooner came stooping over the next. The bow spirit was over my head. I sprang to my feet and leaped, stamping the coracle under water. With one hand I caught the jib-boom, while my foot was lodged between the stay and the brace. And, as I still clung there panting, a dull blow told me that the schooner had charged down upon and struck the coracle, and that I was left without retreat on the Hispaniola. All right. Thanks, guys, so much for tuning in today. Really appreciate you sharing the show with somebody that you know who might love a free audiobook. And like I've said before, if you or somebody that you know is an indie author and would like to hear your work read on the podcast, please get in touch with me, anotherworldaudiobooks at gmail.com. And don't forget, if you want the full audiobooks, we're Another World Audiobooks is available on pretty much anywhere that you get audiobooks. So you can get them for free on here, episode by episode, or if you want the whole thing unabridged, you can go ahead and, and purchase some. That's a great way to support the podcast. I'd I do this, no pay, I'm just doing it because I love doing it, I love bringing you guys the episodes, but if you want to kind of give a little kick back there and support the podcast, that's one great way to do it, or you can just go to anchor.fm slash anotherworldaudiobooks and uh, click on support the podcast. But regardless, no matter what you do, I'm going to still keep making this podcast for you, hope you enjoy it, and uh, just the best thing that you can do is just share it with somebody that you know who would enjoy a free audiobook. Thanks so much for listening today, we'll catch you next week. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Don't worry, you aren't the only one. You aren't the only business that needs help. You aren't the only person that has a hard time finding the right help at the right price. This is where Business Bloodline becomes your bloodline to temporary and permanent staffing. Business Bloodline specializes in hiring internet workers to creatively solve problems for your business. 
Business Bloodline does all the vetting and only delivers candidates that make sense for your needs and at a cost that you can afford. But 60 seconds isn't enough for me to tell you why hiring through Business Bloodline is safer, cheaper, and less time consuming. We would rather show you. To get more information or a business consultation, visit businessbloodline.com. If the job can be done on a computer, Business Bloodline can find a match. Visit businessbloodline.com and tell them that you heard about it on Another World Audiobooks to get 10% off your first hire. Remember to mention that you heard about it on Another World Audiobooks to get that 10% off. Businessbloodline.com